Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer from the Chicago Cubs, and you're listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast featuring everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Manaman. This podcast is produced on Anchor, where you can record, edit, and publish all from your smartphone. You can find the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other major podcast platforms. Stepping to the batter's box. Welcome back and thank you for joining us on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. This episode is sponsored by the Chief Bat Company based out of Manchester, Iowa. They do custom wood baseball bats and the feedback that I've gotten from them is they are outstanding bats to use. So find them on Facebook, reach out to Ben Ogden and have your customized wooden bat made. It's also sponsored by Dugout Sports in Fairfax, Iowa. They have had some major league players coming through there like crazy doing their training. AJ Puck and Mitch Keller are two to come to mind. So if you're looking for a place to work out, look up Jay Wannell and find Dugout Sports on Facebook. Today, our guest Many say is not only one of the most powerful hitters in the area, but also one of the most hilarious people in the area. Today, we are joined by Brett Featherson, who ranks in the top 10 in many offensive categories for the University of Northern Iowa baseball team. Casey Bryant considers him a Western Dubuque all-time great, and he is an Epworth Oriole staple. Brett Featherson, welcome to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Good morning, Nick. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you having me on. Always great to have people from Epworth on because they bring a different aspect to, to the podcast, and they really take that taking baseball fun to to a whole different level now brett when i posted that you were going to be on the podcast there was a lot of media buzz and it started with your legendary home runs and your home runs started early in your western debut career casey bryant stated that you were the first great player he coached while taking over the program Western Dubuque has such a love for baseball and their community for all sports. What do you think makes Western Dubuque so special? Yeah, like you said, um, they're they're big supporters of baseball, but not just baseball. Um, it's a big community support. There's, I think they said, 14, 15 towns that make up our um, school um, community. Um, and it doesn't matter what sport, men's, women's, um, you know, matter what time of year. There's always people there step, uh, packing the stands. And, um, you know, that, that saying that we have out here is once a bobcat, always a bobcat is so true because once you leave and graduate West Dubuque, it always feels like you can't take West Dubuque out of somebody. They always come back and support, um, no matter if it's sports, um, theater, you know, all the events that happens at West Dubuque, there's a lot of support throughout our community. And um, like I said, I think that's what the biggest thing is. No matter how good you guys are, how many, how good a team is, there's always going to be support with the Bobcat community. 
That's that's true. I know. I coached at my alma mater, Hempstead, for roughly ten or so years, and I coached at Western Dubuque for five years. And the community has been great. They've been uplifting. I'm still in contact with many of those people. Probably more people at Western Dubuque than I am from where I played at and where I coached at for so long. Now, well, you you played at Western Dubuque. You broke and set many records. Your senior year, you were selected to the elite All-State team when you hit for a 500 average, had 16 home runs, and 66 RBIs, which those numbers are unheard of. What do you think were your biggest contributors to your success when you played in high school? Um, I mean, first and foremost, I got to give a lot of credit to Coach Bryant. Um, Casey had you know, a lot of faith in me as, as a freshman um, he wanted me to play, so you know, up every year, and then I eventually made the varsity level my sophomore year. Um, but there was always a lot of extra work that he put in with me. Um, every time I needed something, every time I wanted to make an extra effort to, you know, get to the cage, take ground balls, whatever it was, he was always there. Um, and again, his, you know, his baseball mindset is really good too because his baseball knowledge helped me get, you know, better, obviously better knowledge in high school and taking that into college. Um, also, you got to give credit to the guys around me in the lineup. Um, I had guys like Nick Hofer. Nick Hofer went and played college ball. Ryan Horner, my senior Ryan Horner hit in front of me. Ryan broke my average record. And, um, you know, getting guys on base in front of me was big, which means people behind me and then the other teams had to either pitch to me Pitched the guys ahead of me, pitched guys behind me with Hofer. We had a guy that hit six. Josh Wagman hit nine home runs as a junior, hitting the six hole. So, and, and fortunately, some of them situations, they had to pitch to me. And, you know, the outcome was successful on my part. But again, people around me, um, the guys in the lineup, um, guys in the lineup make you better, um, like I said, because they have to determine who they want to pitch to. And like I said, fortunately, a lot of them situations they had to throw to me. Alex Dietmeyer, great leadoff guy. Um, Tony Hinker hit second. You know that they set the table for guys like Ryan, myself, Nick Hofer, and Wagner. And again, they had to pick and choose who they wanted to hit or throw against. And you know, I took advantage of some of them opportunities. Do you remember what years you played for Western Dubuque? Um, well, I was uh, in high school from 0 to or 01 to 04. So I played varsity from 0 2 to 04. Um, my sophomore year didn't play a whole lot, and then obviously junior and senior year, um, I played full time, full time, or both years. Now, while you were there, did you guys win any conference titles? Did you head to the state tournament at all? We. So my junior year was the last year of the Big Ben Conference, and there has never been an undefeated team in the Big Ben in baseball in the Big Ben, uh, except for our last year. We went undefeated. And obviously won that. And then next year, my senior year was the first year of the Walmack, and we won that outright. So we won two conference titles my junior and senior year, but we did not make state. We ran into the powerhouse of Xavier. My junior year, they had Ryan Sweeney, obviously, who got drafted by the White Sox. Um, luckily, he signed the week before we played, but they had their number two and three of the, the Sweet brothers. Jason Sweet was a senior and Travis Sweet was my grade so we faced Jason my senior year or sorry junior year and they beat us 11 to 1 and then 
senior year, we got beat. I think it was three to nothing by uh, Travis Sweet. And Travis actually became a good friend of mine. He went to Iowa, and we played every year when I was at school. So we unfortunately did not make any state appearances because we ran into you know some powerful arms. That's that's sometimes the frustrating thing about looking back at the years when we played because a lot of those brackets. I know when I played in 2000, they were predetermined before the season even started. I know my senior year at Hempstead, we went into the season ranked number two in the state, and the number four team ranked in the state was in the same bracket as us, and we already scheduled to play them the first round of substate before there was even a kick thrown. So a lot of times back 20-some years ago, you would notice that sometimes the best teams necessarily did not make it to the state tournament. Now, when we go back to the years that you played, think about the teams in the area that you would have played. Who were some of the top players in the area, and who were some of the uh, most difficult pitchers to hit off of during that time? Um, well, that's been, that was a long time ago, so it was kind of hard for me to, to retract a lot of guys, but some that come to my mind, obviously, Adam McDermott from Cascade was um, – co-TH player of the year with me. Adam went to Iowa Central and then actually teamed up with me his last two years at UNI. Um, and then obviously Beckman. Beckman has the tradition of being the baseball powerhouse. Um, guys at my grade that come to mind were like Bo Ellingson, Ben Zittleman, um, Nick Breitbach, and they had a junior, uh, Nick Oberding. Nick Oberding was a phenomenal baseball player. Um, and then obviously Xavier with Ryan Sweeney, Jason Sweet, Travis Sweet. Um, a lot of the other guys in the conference, I can't remember, you know, how how difficult it was facing guys. But those those names come to mind right off the top of my head. Now, I know it was about 20 years ago, but when you reflect on high school and you look back at your high school memories, when you talk with your teammates, what are some of those memories that still come up? Some of your greatest memories from Western Dubuque baseball? Um, there's obviously the, the friendships. Um, that, that come to mind, you know, I still, a lot of them guys that I played with are still around. So our relationship still is going strong, but baseball wise, you know, not a whole lot comes to mind. Um, the only one that really, I broke the home run record at independence. I do remember, um, there's a three Oh count and Casey gave me the green light and I swung and, and broke the record on a three Oh count. I know it's kind of against the rules to swing three Oh, but I got the green light and I, I took a hack at it, and um, I played. We played. We hosted South Tama. I know a doubleheader, and I was O for O on that doubleheader. They walked me every at bat. Mm, yeah, and it didn't matter if bases were loaded, two guys on. I let off an inning. They walked me, and I don't know if that was a joke, but I took it as you know the, a respect factor. But um, those are a couple things that come to mind back in the day. And like I said, winning a couple ch- conference championships and. Not getting to state is kind of a bummer, but, you know, we had a lot of success uh, the three years that I played. Yeah, you covered some of those memories in the previous question about being undefeated the last year of the Big Ben Conference, winning the Womack outright. 
And the one thing I know about Casey Bryan, and it doesn't surprise me one bit that he gave you the um, swing away sign on 3-0, and is he does not care about any rules whatsoever. So that, that does not surprise me. Now, you mentioned when you broke the record, home run record at South Tama. Are there any legendary home runs that people still talk about today or, or will mention to you at all? Uh, not really. The conversation usually doesn't come up. Um, I mean, it's, you know, high school. A lot of people, you know, when you start talking about high school, as you get older, everybody wants to tell you close year, but So it's, I mean, sometimes you reflect on it, but, um, you know, high school was a long time ago, so we kind of just leave it at that. Now, I, I recently read an article about you. I believe it was in the Waterloo Carrier, and it quotes... Brett Featherston was not a highly sought-after Division I baseball recruit. Now, end quote, you put up monster numbers while you were at Western Dubuque. How come the UNI Panthers were the only Division I program that showed interest in you? Well, I wish I had an answer for you for that. Like, I, I, I really have no idea. Um, I've sent, you know, I sent feelers out for a couple teams, but no response. I know the University of Iowa, they wanted me as a preferred walk-on. But I, I had a lot of interest with all the Dubuque schools. Um, I know Warburg and Upper Iowa wanted me to come and play football and baseball. But then I was talking with um, actually Marty Sutherland, who was the assistant coach back then from Cascade. And we kind of just talked, and he's like, you know, we've actually considered – you're recruiting you, so after I talked to him, it kind of took off from them and fell in love with the program, fell in love with the coaching staff, you know, Cedar Falls being close to home and um, the success that Heller had, it was kind of an easy decision for me. Now, when I went on to read the rest of the article, and I didn't want to quote the whole article because people don't want to hear me just sit on here and read an article, but it said that you had many mechanical flaws in your swing and you were a defensive liability and that was the only reason why division one programs weren't knocking at your door now what did the coaching staff at the university of northern iowa do to improve your game to fix your swing and not make you a defensive liability and this is according to the article so i don't want you to think this and is a I, scouting no, i know yeah. And I, I actually read that article and, you know, they weren't wrong. Even when I got to school, um, Coach Heller said the same thing. He goes, you're, <laughs> you're unflexible. There's, there's a lot of things that we have to fix for you to be successful here. But we think with the right tools and you could be that guy because obviously the numbers I put up, but um, the biggest thing they wanted me was my flexibility. Um, back in high school, I couldn't touch my toes. I had zero flexibility. And, when I first got to campus, I didn't do a whole lot of practicing. I was in the weight room doing flexibility groups. I did. I had yoga four days a week, and I was doing, you know, lifting and doing wall sits. And by the time freshman year, spring came around, I was able to – my flexibility had increased a lot. Um, obviously, the speed of the game is higher in the Division One level from high school. So a lot of infield drills, you know um, – the ball gets on you a little bit faster on this, you know, the corner positions. So a lot of field work there. And then obviously cage work, you know, you're facing guys that were 
low to mid nineties every Friday night in conference. Um, and you go to, you know, go to Florida, go to Louisiana, you face all these other division schools, division one schools down South. A lot of these guys throw hard. So it was a huge jump for me from facing guys in high school and then facing, you know, I have never seen 90 in high school. And my first game that I played, I was, you know, the guy was sitting at 94, 95 and it was a shock to me, but they had a lot of trust in me and, and I did a lot of work. And like I said, I, they took an interest in, and luckily it panned out for him. And Coach Heller, it just shows why he's had so much success everywhere he's been. I mean, this was 14, 15, 16 years ago, and he already had you doing yoga before yoga was the big thing that, uh, that everybody did. So he knew you were going to hit, but he just had to figure out a way to keep you healthy and a way to get you um, on that field. Now, when you would play the Division One schools that passed in you or showed zero interest in you, did that add extra fuel to the fire when you played those teams? Um, not really. Like I said, there wasn't a whole lot of interest anyway. Um, like I said, Iowa was about the only their D1 school, and we played them twice a year. So we uh, we got a lot. Of, I got a lot of payback on the University of Iowa, but um, I mean, like I said, I had interest from a lot of small schools, but I don't really have any regrets or, or any you know grudges I'm going to hold against any any school. Now, Brett, I have a two-part question for you. What years did you play at the University of Northern Iowa, and were there any other guys from Dubuque County that were also on that team? So I played from 04 to 08. My freshman year coming in, they had Natrum was from Beckman. Natrum was a senior. Um, and then Brian Westfall went to Hempstead. Oh, yeah. Brian, I, I played with two years with him. And then Nick Kirk is a year behind me. And I played three years with Nick from Wallert. And we're trying to get Nick on the podcast. I've reached out to him a couple times. He said he's interested. But I so Nick, if you're listening to this, check your Facebook inbox. You got about three messages from from me on there. Now, the four years you were at the University of Northern Iowa, how did how did your team do? And what were some of the greatest moments you've experienced while at the University of Northern Iowa? We were usually mid of the row or mid of the pack, middle of the pack in the conference. Um, you have to be, I think top seven or top six in the conference to make the conference tournament. And we only made that my senior year. So we were, you know, mid or average to below average every year, but it was still playing, you know, against some elite teams. Our conference was known as a pitching conference. There were numerous guys from different schools that got drafted every year. Um, early too. um, like I said, we were pretty average, but, you know, a lot of memories I have bus trips. Bus trips are always the best. Um, we were kind of a low-budgeted school, so we had to drive everywhere. We flew to Florida every spring. That was the only flying trip we had. But bus trips, you know, it was – you had to try and find things to do. We would uh, actually have sequence, the board game sequence tournaments. <laughs> so you would actually have to, you know, find a partner, and that's – and we bracketed it out and – um, they kind of got intense. There was no money, but it was it was a lot of fun. Helped pass the time. And were there any moments, um, you know, bus trips get get crazy, and 
road trips get crazy are there are there any that just stand out where somebody just did something just so stupid or somebody forgot something or are there any that stand out that you and your buddies will laugh about or you'll text somebody random being like hey do you remember when this guy and 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 go on you know i not really nothing that really comes to mind road trip wise we're pretty you know laid back group so um, but there's a couple of things on the field that I remember. Nick Kirk, actually, like I mentioned before, Nick threw a perfect game against Evansville. I think it would, I don't remember what year it was, a seven inning game, but um, I've never been a part of a perfect game before. And that was uh, a really cool experience. And then uh, a buddy of mine from Interstate 35, Brandon Douglas, uh, my senior year, he won conference player of the year. And that's a huge honor because they had, they had a kid at Wichita State, Andy Dirks, who got drafted in like the seventh round by the Tigers and played six, seven years with the, in the bigs with them. Had an outstanding year and Brandon beat him out for it. And it was just, you know, that was the year we were at the conference tournaments and we got to go to the ceremony for the, all the awards. And it was pretty special being there with Brandon when he won that. That's a great story. Now, I do want to talk about your individual accomplishments when you were at UNI. You rank in the top 10 in UNI program history in many different offensive categories. You are fifth in home runs with 24, third in RBIs with 146, seventh in doubles with 38, and you led the program in walks with 119. All of this coming from a guy who many had considered had too many flaws to play Division I baseball. What are some of your individual moments at bats or home runs from your career at UNI that stand out most to you? Um, I, I wouldn't say particular moments that I did. It was a lot of guys that I played against is what kind of uh, sticks in my head. My freshman year, we faced Wichita State, actually came to Cedar Falls. Their Friday night guy was Mike Pelfrey, who okay, is yeah, from the Mets. And out from the Mets, he got, he got drafted by oh god who was it it might have been the Mets out of college but Mike Pelfrey was their Friday night guy and I'm coming in as an 18 year old kid and this the scouting report for Mike Pelfrey I remember was fastball and it gives you velocity it was anywhere from 92 to 98 like that's you see that an 18 year old kid you're like oh god you know if I get hit by that that's lights up but um I ended up going two for three off him and we got beat three to one I had the only RBI so that was the big highlight. Um, I've placed or um, faced a lot of players. Uh, Ross Detweiler pitches for the White Sox right now. Went to Missouri State. Um, as I mentioned before, Andy Dirks went to Wichita State. Pelfrey, Jordan Zimmerman, when I played with Rochester in the uh, Northwoods League, he played for Eau Claire as, as well as Cole Calhoun. Um, a couple other things that come to mind was Alex Gordon played in Nebraska. We played Nebraska my la- my first two years. He hit the farthest opposite field home run I've ever seen. And I'm not exaggerating as the farthest. I haven't seen pole balls get hit that far off of one of our guys. Um, That was a close game. We got beat. I think we got beat six to four or something. And then the next year we faced Nebraska and they were number five in the country. And we beat them. We threw nine different guys an inning and beat them. Five to three, and I was two for three with four of guys that game. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of moments like that that come to mind when you face t- 
top tier talent and you actually do success against them, it's easy to stick with you. Um, I was conference player of the week twice, um, second team all conference twice for two years. The guy that beat me every year was Darren Ruff. Darren Ruff plays for the Giants right now. He went to Creighton. Um, Pat Mendetti, his interesting story. I don't know if you remember that name at all, Pat Mendetti. He, he's I, the ambidextrous guy that yeah. pitches for the A's. Yeah, he was yep. with the A's for a while. Yeah, with the Yankees. And, yeah, he went to Creighton and absolutely owned me. I think the four years, he's the same age as mine. Here I am. And I might have two hits off him in four years because it was just, you know, sidearm down, soft, pulled off everything all the time. And, like I said, Pat, Pat has my number. You but know, as far as like a lot of memories, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, a lot of memories is like I said, is the just the guys that I faced, a lot of top tier talent that I remember playing against, and it was you know really privileged to be a part of it. And the crazy thing about playing with Pat is you might face him four times in a game, but he might throw against you three times left-handed and then throw against you one time right-handed. And it's almost like you're facing the same pitcher, but you're seeing two different guys with whatever arm he yeah. plays with. I never got to face him right-handed. It was always left against me. But, yeah, it was his velocity, I think, left side was 80 to 81, and right was 86 to 88. So he obviously threw softer from the left side, but he could throw every pitch where he wanted uh, around the plate. And, you know, he was a spot guy, and it was impossible to hit. A couple follow-up questions about things that, that you mentioned there that I wanted to touch on. So you mentioned about the Northwoods League. Tell us about your time in the Northwoods League. And, and I'm, I'm curious, were, were there ever times where you thought you might get drafted or play independent ball or, or somebody take a late-round flyer on you to play in the minors? What, what happened? How did that kind of pan out for you? So my soft, yeah, sophomore year um, – I got an invite to play with Rochester, and that would have been all six. And we ended up winning the Northwoods League Championship that year. And that was the best summer of baseball I could play because it was basically like playing minor league ball. It was you get up in the morning, you know, you go lift, you go do whatever you want. You got to be at the park by 2 o'clock for BP game, you know, or at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, BP before and then game at seven. And then the nightlife was fun too. Um, but you know, that, that was my summer for two, for two years was, and then, like I said, the following year I went back up and played against some outstanding talent, played with a lot of guys with the draft being in July, we had a lot of guys leave that would sign contracts. And, um, as far as me, I had, the twins were the only the only team that had contacted me. Um, you know, they reached out to me and said, you know, we got you know we got some interest in you and this and that. And this was my senior year, so I had no leverage um, against them. But I'm like, you know, if you give me a chance, you know, I'll come in and prove myself. And they're like, well, keep your ears open, keep your phone line open, all this. I'm like, they're like, what kind of signing bonus would you you know need to? I'm like, you give me a stick of gum on a plane ticket, and I'll you know I'm gonna make every opportunity I can to make your team better. And, you know, unfortunately it didn't work out, but you know, that's, it was kind of a fun process. You know, you're sitting there on draft day thinking, you know, is my time going to come? But again, it didn't. And, you know, I'm okay with that. It's, it is what it is. Yeah. You, you did what you had to do. You, you put in your time, you put up the numbers and it, it just didn't work out for you. Now, the article that I referenced before, 
they they didn't just talk poorly about your swing and your lack of flexibility. They also talked about how it was a true feel good story. And if you Google Brett Featherston baseball, it will be the first one that comes up. I'm sorry to the author, I can't remember your name, but it's in the Waterloo Courier. And the article referenced a mammoth home run that you hit at Veterans Memorial Stadium. And we're also going to get into Tim Flattery from the Moonlight Graham show because he also talked about some of your home runs as well. Now, do you remember that home run at Vets? Any idea how far it traveled? I, I know I do remember that. Um, it was off Matt Mossy. Matt Mossy, uh, we played against him four years. He went to North Dakota State and then transferred to Iowa. Um, position guy at North North Dakota State and then came to Iowa and pitched and full count, three two count. Um, he, I mean, center cut as it could be. Yeah, and I pretty put a pretty good swing on it and it felt awesome. Wind was galing in too from right, and but um, I really have no idea how far it would have gone. Like I said, wind was it was out. You know, it was out by a lot, but wind wasn't blowing out. I would say I don't know, well over four hundred. But again, that's. A little biased, I guess, maybe, but again, the way it, the, the swing felt and the contact, and I knew I knew it was hit well. Back in the day, we weren't doing bat flips yet, but it for sure would have been a bat no. flip, right? No, yeah, I, <laughs> I definitely knew it was gone. I can tell you that. Now, if if you are a fan of podcasts and you're into underdog stories or even baseball podcasts, uh, the Moonlight Graham Show would be one to check out. I, I think they do a they do a fantastic job, and the host is Tim Flannery, and he sent me a message. Actually, you were tagged on it as well, but he said you hit a home run in Minnesota that took place at the old Metrodome. And how far do you think that traveled? And um, he also talked about, wanted you to talk about that day because you guys took BP at the butt crack of dawn and played even earlier than that. So what what was that like? And he said you hit the upper deck in uh, the Metrodome. It actually wasn't the upper deck, but it went over the baggie. Um, it was, again, I have no idea. I'd have to see what the dimensions were, but. It cleared by quite a bit. But, yeah, that day was interesting. We played Minnesota every year. was usually our midweek game. Um, we would go up there, and they would come down every other year. We were supposed to go up there and play on a Wednesday, but they got six, seven inches of snow, so their field was covered. So they actually talked to the Twins and see if we could play there. And the Twins said, yeah, but they had something going on that day, so we had the, our first pitch was set at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so we drove up, we drove up that night. We decided to drive up the night before and we got to our hotel, 1130, something snowing. I mean, it's just blizzard conditions. Wake up, call at 530. Might even have been before that because I think BP was 630. And yeah, it was, we actually was, I was texting T-flat about it that the home run I hit put us ahead. <laughs> Kim came in to close it and lost the lead and blew the save. And then we ended up winning. We ended up winning on a, a hit by pitch, walk off hit by pitch. I don't I think, you know what? I actually think we were supposed to be home and we got snow and we went up there and played in the dumps. We were home, I think. And we won on a walk off hit by pitch. So yeah, Tim, I mean, that, okay. That could have been a story earlier. 
but yeah, T Flat and I were talking about that when you tweeted at him. So yeah, that that was an interesting day. Yeah, and I oh my gosh, I've I've seen games. Um, Rob Quinlan is a friend of mine. He used to coach for Minnesota, and I'd go up to watch watch games up there, and he played. Uh, about 10 seasons with the Angels. If you want to listen to that former podcast, uh, look up Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, and you can find that one. When you were at the University of Northern Iowa and you look back at your career, what are you most proud of? I would say, I mean, so in honest, all honesty, after my freshman year, I thought that they dogged me a little bit from coming in. I only had 88 at-bats. Now, granted, out of the 88 at bats, I struck out 24 times. So that's not a very good. I, I should have been more content and happy with the 88 at bats I got, but I contemplated transferring. Um, I sat down with Marty Sutherland and I really had a long, deep conversation about, hey, you know, I, he goes, what do you want? You know, you got your freshman coming in, you got 88 at bats. You did not produce in the 88 at bats. He's like, give it a year. Take your summer off, or not summer off, but. Take, after the year, go work, do some things, and come back. And then I took a lot of that into consideration. My first summer of college, I came back to Epworth and actually played, but a lot of extra work, tee work, um, you know, long tee, a lot of drills. And I went back my sophomore year, and things turned around. So um, I got to give a lot of credit to Marty for that, and, and for me being able to stick out the four years and, and have a lot, and have the success that I had goes back to him and that conversation we had and making sure that I stuck it out. I would say that it also goes back to you as well, because it sounds like that that was the first time in your career where you ever experienced failure. And the easy thing exactly. to do would have been to transfer and go play yeah. at a lower level and, and be a rock star. Right. Yeah, that's and that's the thing is it, it showed a lot of, I mean, it, it showed a lot of character for me, like you said, it's to, be able to to stick it out and work to be better at a better at a better level instead of going back and, and knowing that I could be good somewhere else. And I'm not I'm not trying to knock you know Division two Division three schools because there is an outstanding amount of guys that get drafted out of them levels too. But um, you know it's it, like you said the me being able to overcome adversity was not really an issue in high school. And when I came in my freshman year, that's all I had basically was adversity. And um, I didn't handle it the best. And again, I'm glad I stuck out the rest of the next three years. If you could have one do-over moment from your career at UNI, what would it be? That was another question that I wasn't quite sure how to handle because, again, I don't have any regrets. Um I worked as hard as I could to get to the next level and it didn't happen. But um, I, I, I feel that I did all I could uh, in my baseball career to be happy. And again, this was a great experience and I'm glad I did it. I, I would actually say that the work you put in after your freshman year probably stopped a do-over moment because if you would have not put in that extra work and continue to struggle there, you may have wondered if you made the right decision in going there or transferring it. So again, kudos to you for realizing that and, and putting in that work. Now, the one thing that I've noticed when I, I look up UNI baseball and I, and I talk about UNI baseball or I researched you for this interview is 
they're such a tight-knit group. It's such a tight-knit community. And we know that you and I baseball is no more. Now, what emotions do you have knowing that on homecoming weekend, you're not going to be able to go down and catch up with the baseball guys, or you can't go to Riverfront Stadium in Waterloo and freeze your butt off in the middle of March to watch a UNI baseball game. It's it's a terrible feeling. Um, so my last year was the year before the final year. So I got, and I was still in school for my fifth year. So I got to be around that that last group of guys. And the, like you said, the homecoming weekend was always um, alumni weekend. And we actually got teams together and a bunch of, you know, older guys came too that played before us and we had an outstanding time. And it, it does suck because it's an, I would contemplate moving to Cedar Falls because Cedar Falls is another small, smaller town that is kind of like the West of community. They surround that UNI athletic program no matter what sport and, and support it. And it was awesome. And, you know, can't say enough good things about that place. Yeah. And, and the great thing is it's almost like you have you and I 2.0 because it seems like coach Heller and his staff and former players from you and I are now yeah. doing the same thing it's, at it, Iowa. It's hard. It's hard for me to cheer for Iowa because they were a rival. Um, and I got a lot of friends that, you know, that are Iowa fans, and I just, I can support Iowa baseball, but I, I'm not a big Iowa fan, like you said, because of Heller. And, you know, not having you and I sucks because, again, you don't get to reminisce and see the guys that you played with unless you make an effort to go visit them somewhere. But that have been a, you know, a consensual place where we all could have met and had some fun. But it is a, it's a, it's, it's a bad feeling knowing that there is no more. Not the school you played for, the sport doesn't exist. I'm still big, big you and I fan, but yeah, it's 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 pretty emotional. Not terribly, but it, it does kind of suck when you don't have anything to look back on. Because, like you said, you got to research to find any information on that baseball, and it's kind of hard to find. Yeah, and I would say that I'm the same way. People that listen to this know I'm a diehard Michigan State fan. I'm talking to Brett right now wearing an Iowa baseball hat. But, you know, I am an Iowa baseball fan. When Nick, when Nick Ungs sends you free stuff, how can you not be a baseball, an Iowa That's baseball right. and fan? That's right. I have I – have, so not a whole lot of people see me wear it because they'll think I'm two-timing them. But, yeah, it's uh, Coach Eller and, Coach Eller and Marty. Um, and like you said, Nick Ons, I've known, you know, Marty my entire life with him and, you know, my brother-in-law being good friends and um, nothing but good things from all three of them guys. I'm glad you bring I up. I didn't have Nick as a coach, but I know, I know Nick from, you know, being around here. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Marty Sutherland because we're going to make a dugout sports call to the bullpen here. So I had a question come in from Jesse Gavin. I'm sorry, Jason Gavin on Instagram, and he wants to know, who is a better hitter, you or your brother-in-law? And people might not know who your brother-in-law is, so tell the audience first of who your brother-in-law is and his background in baseball. So my brother-in-law is Roman Hummel from Cascade. Um, Obviously a standout baseball player and athlete at Cascade. He went to Kirkwood out of high school. Uh, played baseball, 
and then went to South Dakota and played one year, and then he played his final year at UNI as well. Um, and who's a better hitter between him and I? I would have to say my nephew and his son, Cooper. Kid's <laughs> only 13 years old, and the kid's going to be a stud. Um, that's, you know, him and I talk all the time about how good this kid's going to be. So we kind of put our uh, battle aside about who was better, and we are uh, looking forward to this kid and the good things he's going to do. And obviously I'm going to say myself is a better hitter than Roman. Just yeah. to throw that in there. I would like to know, Roman, if you listen to this, was there ever a double header where you were intentionally walked every single at bat? I'd be curious to, to see what his uh, answers would be. Now, before we get out of here, we do have to talk about semi-pro baseball. How many years have you been playing with the Epworth Orioles? I've been playing since I was 15. So, you know, I'm going on this next summer will be my 20th year, minus the two years I played with Rochester. But And you're still putting up huge numbers, still yeah, one of the 15. most – Still one of the most feared hitters in well, semi-pro. I still think my name's there. I don't know about the outcome much anymore because <laughs> and a lot of guys, like a lot of guys that I talk to that still play, like the biggest hit guys, like hitters that I talked to were obviously Roman and Nate Ramler. In my opinion, Nate Ramler was the best hitter that I have ever seen. And I'm not talking about around here. I'm talking about what I've seen in college and what I see now is I just wish that kid had a better luck and wish he didn't get hurt, but that's beside the point. But getting back to like semi-pro, it's harder if you don't, if you don't work out and you, and you know, I got a family now and it's kind of tough to, to go hit on your own and find time to do that with a job. And so it's kind of show up and you trust your, you trust your abilities and, and it's not so much, they're not so easy anymore. Yeah, a lot, of, lot more adversity I got to overcome again. Yeah, we actually have our Offensive Player of the Year award named the Rambler after after Nate Rambler, and he's got an interesting story. I, I would like to get him on sometime. So, Nate, if you're listening to this, reach out, or I'll reach out to you. You now, need to get you need to get Nate. Nate's gonna have Nate's. Yeah, Nate's a a, a great baseball minded guy, and like I said, me and him have a lot of discussions on. Hitting techniques because he was helping Dan Spain at Clark a little bit and all this other stuff. And it's just, it's a lot of fun when you get two different minds talking about the same thing. And again, I, I have all the praise in the world to Nate Rambler. Now you've played semi-pro for 15 years. How has it changed in those 15 years over the time? Well, since I was, now I'm the oldest guy on the team. So I'm the vet. Back in the day, I was the one that used to look up to guys like Watus and um, Bruce Moss and Bones Bradley, Bill Petchy, Ronnie Kramer, you know, Hot Rod, guys that have been around Epworth Baseball forever. Um, but now I'm the vet that, you know, hopefully our young guys feel comfortable enough to come talk to, ask questions, and, and help them, you know, be able to play the greatest game that is around. Now, what are some of your greatest memories that you've had over the years playing semi-pro? The, the biggest out of that, you know, 18 years was definitely this summer in Cascade. Um, 
for as long as that tournament's been around, Epworth has never won it, and we won it this year, this uh, this past summer. And with the guys and the team that we had, that tournament was outstanding, and it was a lot of fun. You know, we had pitching, hitting, defense, everything that has to come and men together to win a championship, and we did that. Uh, a couple other things was the you know, won the Piazza tournament back I don't know eight years ago, whatever it was. And then a couple MVPs that I won last year in Rickardsville, and then obviously that Piazza tournament. Um, a lot of friendships, you know. Like I said, you get to see these guys every summer now. So, and it's it's more than just baseball. It's basically the after party of baseball is what we enjoy the most, and and you know storytelling, and you know, from years to come, it's going to be our stories that we get to tell now. I've noticed that about Epworth, and I know I just had Johnny Blake on, and he talked as well about the experience of winning that tournament in Iowa's oldest and best baseball tournament. Now, think of the past and think of the present. You've uh, given us some semi-pro names, but when you look back, who are some of the most feared hitters, and then who are some of those pitchers that were the most dominant in the game during your 15 years? There's a couple pitchers, obviously. One still playing now, Andy Seabrook. Um, a lot of credit to him. He's left side. I mean, he's a guy that, that came in from Upper Iowa, and the first year he was here, he had dominated and has been really good since. Um, and then, obviously, you got to give I got to give credit to Yite, Pat Weber, and Cascade. His his career, you know, his charisma might not have been the most favorite for. Other people, but you got to give credit where credit's due. And that that guy won baseball games and did it with strikeouts and dominance. Um, so those are a couple pitches that come to mind. Obviously, some hitters with Ramler. Um, some of them older guys, a lot of cast guys. Jason Simon was a really, really good hitter I liked watching. Tom Andrews. I wish Tom would still play a little bit, but um, I know Tom could, could still be productive. Um, obviously, Roman. But yeah, there's a. I mean, there's the list is on goes on and on. And the thing that you got to give credit to is this: this league is not just a, a summer beer league. There's a lot of credit, or a lot of uh, people that take credit and are, are proud to be in this league and, and don't take it for granted. And you know, like I said that it's an it's an opportunity to keep playing the game that everybody loves, and and a lot of these guys still do it at a high level, and it's fun to see. And that's very true when you think about this past summer of kids coming from all over college uh, and college programs as well to come back and play. You think about right. Yeah, and I know I know I talked to Marty about, you know, a couple of them guys that were um, from Iowa that played with Worthington all year, and they loved it. You know, you're not going to get a whole lot of exposure playing here, but it's an opportunity for them guys to see, you know, get an extra, I don't know, maybe – 90, 100, 110 at-bats a summer. Um, next, compared to not being able to do anything with, you know, with all, what's all going on with summer leagues getting shut down. So I know, like I said, I talked to Martin. He's, you know, he said that a lot of these guys that played in this league back, and, and they, they said it wasn't like a, you know, old man's league where they came and dominated. They struggled. Granted, they, you know, they, they did the, they had a lot of success too, but they said it wasn't, you know, a pushover league. So that's what I think you know, attests to a lot of guys in this league that have been around a while is that's the way we want to keep it. 
Yeah, when I interviewed Connor McCaffrey, he had said the same thing, that uh, he had talked to his teammates about playing in the league and, and how much fun they had and, and how competitive it was. And it was it was very cool for me because I know I had some higher level high school kids who, when their programs got shut down, reached out to me to see if I could contact some of the semi-pro managers about playing. And we were able to put, I think, three or four guys uh playing that when their high school season was shut down or ended, they weren't able to play. Brett, I'd like to thank you for being a guest on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Always great catching up with people that have done so much in the baseball community. Is there anything you would like to plug or anything you'd like to mention or share to our listeners before we hit into that podcast killing double play? Uh, No, I just want to thank you for the opportunity and Thanks for letting me sit down and talk baseball with you. I can do this all the time. There ain't nothing better than talking baseball. You're exactly right on that. Six four three. We're out of here. Post game show is brought to you by Christ. I can't find it. The hell with it. Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. You can find us on social media. Facebook and Instagram by searching Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, find us on Spotify, and subscribe.